Hello, and welcome to the eTech Podcast with me, your host, Ryan Morn. I have been involved in the development of electrified vehicles and machines since 2005 as an engineer and a business leader. This podcast is the product of my passion for electric and autonomous vehicle technology. I'm here to share knowledge from some of the world's leading experts, as well as my own insights. Join me as we accelerate the transition to cleaner, safer and smarter vehicles and grow the industry around the world. So we've got a few things going on with today's podcast. First of all, as you probably noticed, if you are watching this on YouTube, instead of just being an audio podcast, we've got video. So you can see me. Uh, I know I've kind of got a face for radio, but uh, we're going to do this as a, as a video. Um, so if you're not on YouTube and you want to see the video, head across to YouTube because it will be over there. Um, so then the, the podcast today is actually an interview with a really great guy, uh, Dr. Ben Todd. He runs a business called Arcola Energy, and they're specialists in systems integration um, and development of fuel cell powertrains. So we got down and, and talked to Ben about all things fuel cell and where they come in the market and the kind of things that are Arcola are up to. And uh, we hope you're going to find it really interesting to maybe get a bit of an insight about what's happening right now in the world of fuel cells. So without further ado, we'll get on with the interview with Ben. Okay, so thanks for agreeing to do this today, Ben. Uh, really, really pleased to have you here. Pleasure. Do you want to just uh, t- tell us who you are and, um, and and a bit about Arcola Energy? Yeah, so, so I'm Ben. I'm the founder CEO of Arcola Energy. Um, so Arcola was created about 10 years ago, um, really to kind of fill the gap between fuel cell and actually other low-carbon technologies and the kind of need for those technologies in the market. Um, so I've been in fuel cells now about 20 years. Uh, so I was doing my PhD um, and then kind of a bit of consulting after that. And what I was seeing all the time was these really nice technologies, um, really serious need, obviously, climate change and air, air quality. Um, and, but the technologies were just never making it to market. It's that classic thing with engineers. I'm going to build this brilliant thing and then people will use it. Yeah. They don't. Okay, yeah. Uh, and so Arcola Energy really, in a way, was created almost out of frustration. It was just going, okay, well, there's this good tech, there's this serious need. Yeah. How about if I set up a company that's it's not very glamorous, it's not based on patents, it's not about inventing amazing things, um, it's not designed to make a load of investors really, really rich. Mm. It's just about going, well, what's needed? What do we need to do? Whatever it takes to put fuel cells and hydrogen into kind of sensible, real world, make the better, make the world better type applications, that's what we'll do. Right, okay. So Arcola does, does fuel cell applications. Did You, you mentioned you did a PhD. Was that... That was to do with fuel cells. That was yeah. So that was in fuel cells. So that was that was quite accidental. I mean, okay. Cards on the table. The, the plan was not especially to go into fuel cells. So as, I guess I was brought up in Liverpool um, with this kind of I guess I would call them crudely my nice hippie family. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I kind of brought up. Like, you need to make the world better. Yeah. That's the kind of that's what maketh man if you like. Yes. A woman. Um, so I had this and so I was an engineer. I've always kind of fixed things and broken things. Um, so when you put those two things together, well, you've got to do something around sustainability. Um, and so I was working on uh, power stations, so natural gas combined cycle power stations. How do you make conventional power stations better? Yeah. Um, and through that, I got really into thermodynamics uh, and the kind of thermodynamics is where kind of humanity reaches the other God or universe, whatever you want to call it. Um, Quite spiritual, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, where do you go? What's yeah. the best that you can do? Yeah, yeah. If you look at the world around you, 
I, as an engineer, you want to understand, you're always interested in limits. How good can this be? Yeah. How rubbish is that? Okay. And so thermodynamics is, kind of sets this kind of, I guess, scientific framework for kind of how good you are and how hard you should be trying. And fuel cells fall out of that. So th- thermodynamically, in theory, fuel cells can give you 100% efficiency. Okay, yeah. yeah. Based on the usual measures we used, so right. kind of LHP efficiency. Um, and so obviously as a, a kind of young engineer, you're like, wow, this is amazing. It's cool, yeah. Um, now, of course, that's in theory. Better than your coal-burning um, fossil power station at 40% or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking at that kind of thing, so then, you know, under th- in thermodynamics, so the Carnot efficiency, which is just about, you know, the difference between the, the highest temperature of combustion and the lowest temperature yeah. of, you know, dumping heat into a river or something. Um, and so th- fuel cells are not limited by Carnot. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, this is amazing. Fuel cells must be great. So I got kind of seduced by that, that idea of what they could be. Uh, now, of course, in reality... There's all kinds of limitations. Yep. Yeah. So you've got kinetics and you've got this, that, and the other. So you, you don't get 100% efficiency. Uh, no. And anyone that tells you you do, they, yeah. they, they, <laughs> yeah. they don't know what they're talking about. Um, but what you what you do have is the potential for very high efficiency, for very low emissions, um, and this kind of flexibility around fuel. So typically we talk about hydrogen fuel cells. Yeah. Um, the type of fuel cells, actually, I was working on high-temperature fuel cells, which would run on natural gas. Um, so the, the thing I was most interested in is can you take the kind of waste gas from, say, a sewage treatment plant, uh, put that into a fuel cell, um, and then you get electricity and actually also get heat. Yeah, Yeah, So these high-temperature fuel cells give you really good, high-quality waste heat. Uh, And then if you make it big enough, you can then take that waste heat and you put it into a gas turbine, Mm. and then you get some more electricity out of the gas turbine. So a gas turbine is like an aeroplane engine. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. So my PhD is sponsored by Rolls-Royce in in that area. Uh, And then actually you take the waste heat from the gas turbine and you put it into a steam turbine. (laughs) So, you know, the old kind of Watts Watts engine. Um, So you get kind of three bites of the cherry. Yeah. So you get electricity out of the fuel cell, electricity out of the gas turbine, electricity out of the steam turbine, and you made it all basically from poo. Right, okay. Yeah. What's not to love about that? Exactly, yeah. 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 It's like the kind of young engineer's <laughs> dream. Uh, so that's, that's, that's what I was working in. Um, and the challenge with all of that is, yeah, it's brilliant. But actually the material science that you need to make those fuel cells happen um, and the kind of, ge- kind of general engineering, production engineering needed uh, just meant it was really slow. Right, okay. And because and, and fuel, fuel cells... You said you've been, was, was it 20 years, you just said? Best part of it. So 20 years is a long time. Uh, yeah, thanks. It probably feels like it sometimes <laughs> as well, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, neither of us are as young as we used to be. Indeed. Uh, but uh, fuel cells have been around for a long time. And they've been one of these things where it's always kind of been a sort of 10 years away from being commercial. For the past uh, 100 years is the joke. Yeah, yeah. So, th- and in the past, there was definitely, like I could see, all right, fuel it, there's a there's a problem here to, to solve in terms of we don't have battery storage and things that can do what it needs to do but batteries seem to be improving and improving all the time and um, I mean I have I've have heard some interesting things fuel cell related in, in the last sort of six months but it feels like um, in in a lot of cases a fuel cell sort of fixing a problem that doesn't exist anymore or do you still see there being a big opportunity for fuel cells um, so I think there's, there's a couple of yeah load, load of good stuff in there so there's let's say the the first point, probably from you know, from my personal perspective, so when I was doing my PhD, I had, I had a f- website, Fuel Cell Knowledge, mm. um, which was, in fact, again, that kind of naive academic thing of just sharing the things I found, the things I'd learned about fuel cells. Yeah. And after a while, I got kind of frustrated with this. At that time, it was all about hydrogen. The hype yeah. was always around hydrogen. And I actually set up another website called Electrochemical Economy. 
So there's this hydrogen economy and I was like, the electric chemical economy is the bit yeah. that I really care about. So whether it's a fuel cell or a battery, which are basically sister technologies, yeah. what I care about is basically not burning things. Yes. So in general, burning things is not the best idea. Right, yeah. Thermodynamically, it's a disaster. You create loads of entropy. No. Yeah. Um, so, so let's say I think the key to me is basically electrochemistry and no emissions. I'm not a kind of fuel cell maniac. Um, in terms of that, that question of, oh, is it batteries or is it fuel cells? I think the answer is very much still both. Right. Um, if you can do it with a battery, do it with a battery. Right. Because right okay. now it's easier, it's cheaper, it's quicker. You know, batteries have got to volume or the beginning of volume and have come down the cost curves yeah. ahead of fuel cells. If you look at the kind of cost and volume projections on fuel cells, they're basically following batteries. Okay. So they, they are going in the right direction. Costs right. are coming down, volumes are going up. Yeah. Uh, so I, I tend to think of it, if, you know, in the very beginning of my career, it was when solar was still, what's solar? What's the point of that? Or wind? Yeah. And we've seen all of them now move into kind of reality. Yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, you say the same with battery. I mean, yeah, you, you, I've heard you say, yeah, it wasn't that long ago that people thought you were nuts for doing electrification. Yes. And now it's all about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think so fuel cells are effectively getting to that point. Uh, and is that for hydrogen or is it for other? So it's generally is hydrogen. Okay. Um, which is so yeah, the lower temperature. So it's lower temperature. Uh, and the inter- yeah, really interesting thing is so when you go back five, ten years, we were looking for applications that didn't use much hydrogen. Right. Because hydrogen is expensive and inconvenient. Um, so you'd say, so people start looking at mobile phones, laptops, telecom mm. backup. So, yeah. Yeah. Watts to hundreds of watts to kilowatts. Um, and what's happened in that time is actually batteries have just got better and better and better. Yeah. And if you want watts, in most cases, the battery is the perfect thing. You want to yeah. charge your mobile phone, batteries are brilliant. Yeah. Um, there are some low power applications if you want to run for a really long time where batteries become impractical. Yeah. Um, but generally, if you go to the larger scale, you need to run for a long time. That's, that's where the fuel cell starts to make sense. And actually, when you get to really big scale, so utility scale, the yeah. kind of thing that we wouldn't think about particularly 10 years ago. It was the kind of pipe dream, Hytopia, yeah, I call yeah. it. Hytopia. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, that's cool. I'm going to use that. Hytopia. It's, yeah, yeah. It's a one you get. Yeah, people have been talking about it since yeah, the oil crisis. And, yeah. Um, there's this great dream, but actually what we're starting to see is actually that is beginning to be the bit that makes sense. Yeah. So anyone that's saying that well the fuel cells are rubbish batteries do everything are probably looking at applications where fuel cells really don't make sense right and so people have lower spent, power people have spent a lot of time trying to pedal fuel cells in the wrong application right um so it's you know it's petrol diesel cng lng there's a market for all of them right? there's a market for all of them they're not yeah. interchangeable you put the wrong one in the market and it's just a daft <laughs> idea like, why yeah. are you doing that it makes no sense yeah so i think there, there is a kind of legacy of the kind of hype around hydrogen it, it really attracts people that love hype that right. idea, the most abundant element in the universe, it's everywhere, you can make cars run on water, all the kind of stuff that drives me nuts because you don't make cars run on water, obviously. Yeah. Um, the, the hydrogen may come from water through electrolysis. Um, so it, it kind of attracts that hype and then you, you get people pushing products that make no sense. Yeah. So I think it's totally understandable you've got that sense it doesn't make sense. And you met, so you, met, you mentioned their electrolysis, and just one, so one of the things that people are often quite critical on on, on fuel cells, and I, I know you've got some interesting views on this, is is the um, and you, you mentioned earlier about the hundred percent efficiency potential, um, so no entropy. But you, you've got um, with 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 a fuel cell system, you've got a sort of energy input cost to generate your 
let's say fuel um, mm-hmm. so the, the the storage medium hydrogen typically then you've got the the, the sort of fuel cell operation um, and and people look at that and say well actually it's really expensive to create the the fuel um, in this case yep um, and that makes the the fuel cells not viable in terms of the um, so forgetting the technology challenges and all that sort of stuff but just the simple fact that you've got all these extra conversion losses so what, what's your take on that because that's, that's quite a big part of the puzzle isn't it getting that right yeah so i, th- I think it's it's critical and the, i think the, the only way to look at that is in a kind of sensible kind of grown-up way uh, and so the first answer is if you can use electricity directly in, in electrical form yeah yeah avoid conversion steps at all uh, any way you can yeah um, and so we use hydrogen where there's effectively a justification what's the benefit so if if I say to you, right, well, I want to store energy for three months to deal with se- seasonal swings, yep. energy supply and demand, right, let's go and use a battery. Well, you quickly realize you need an awful lot of batteries and it quickly becomes impractical. Yeah. Look at fuel cells and hydrogen storage, it may well be totally practical. So at that point you say, okay, well, look, I've lost 30, 40% of the energy that I put in, mm, mm. but I get the energy back when I want it mm. and the economics work. Yeah. And so... It's, it's always that, that trade-off. I mean, if we look at electricity cost, if you take electricity directly out of the mains, it's cheap. Yeah. It's out of reference cost. If you take electricity out of an AA battery, the cost difference between mains electricity and AA battery is orders of magnitude. Yeah. But the AA battery gives you practicality. Yeah. And so in a way, it's, it's almost the same on a, an efficiency basis with hydrogen. If you can do it, directly do it. Yeah. But there's going to be loads of applications where you simply can't. And it... it do you think so? One of the, one of the scenarios that I often talk about, and I, I know you've got a really interesting project that's kind of connected to this. So, is like if, if you've got a fleet of electric trucks, you want to charge one truck, that's fine. You want to charge two hundred trucks, all of a sudden you've got a massive infrastructure problem, and you've actually got to make a huge investment in terms of upgrading the electrical infrastructure. There's an embodied cost in that. So yeah, the the electrical efficiency might be great, but if had to spend a huge amount of capex to upgrade your infrastructure which has got an embodied carbon cost in it as well so fuel cells kind of come into play in that sort of application and, and i know one of the, the I, in fact i saw you talking about it just um, yesterday is your rail project and part of the the argument there is not investing in the, the capex of electrifying lines and having fuel cell um, powered rolling stock instead so is is are the, do you think the economics of that are understood yeah so that's within a, within the kind of rail sector there's obviously some lines that have been electrified and there's a lot that haven't so they're running diesel locomotives uh, and increasingly from a local air quality so if you were to go into birmingham new street station it's pretty smelly down there yeah because uh, of diesel locomotives and then if you tell me more broadly um, there's a push towards electrification um, as, as you said the cost of putting in electric infrastructure whether overhead so third rail um, is really high uh, and there are plenty of applications uh, where it's very likely that if you could electrify the train rather than essentially the track yeah. um, you end up with a it's quick, much quicker which actually is really important uh, and probably also cheaper. So there's a, there's a push obviously towards battery trains um, which for very short stop start runs probably works fine right. uh, but the range it's a kind of perfect example really of where batteries are brilliant for the really short stuff yeah. they just don't give you the, the duration the long run. Right. Um, so we've got a project with a company called Re- uh, Viva Rail um, who are developing um, trains for branch lines, so they're, they're kind of shorter lines. So it's not doing a long haul, kind of London, Edinburgh. Um, it's doing yeah branch lines in in regions, 
Uh, and these are very much, in a sense, you could almost think of them as, as the kind of bus, buses of trains. Okay. So yeah. you think of buses and coaches. Coaches do long hauls up motorways. Buses do city journeys. Yeah. Uh, and then, so in that uh, in that branch line operation, stop start. So you can do you can recover quite a lot from regen. So electrification gives you a really nice benefit. Yeah. So you know, power batteries to recover the recover the energy and to give you nice acceleration yeah. and for range you essentially then hybridize with a fuel cell right so okay it's a kind of classic application to us batteries doing what batteries do really well which is power yeah fuel cells and hydrogen doing what hydrogen and fuel cells do really well which is energy bring them together and that's in a way that's the kind of core of our, our, our approach to things uh so on an, on an electric train it, it's a fundamentally it's an it's an electrified train so you've got elect, electric motors driving it you you still have a battery pack but a smaller one I guess exactly, um, and and then you have a fuel cell as your kind of primary energy generator. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, so you can think of it as the primary energy generator, or very often people talk about it as a range extender. Right. So which, which end you come at it from? Yeah. Uh, if you if you like from a f- pure fuel cell end, you could say, okay, I've got this fuel cell, but I need some help with the power spikes. Yeah. So I could put in super caps, which would be great at whacking out loads of power, sucking up. Yeah. Um, but actually, you may get to the point where super caps can't quite do it, and then you move to a power battery. Okay. Um, yeah. And obviously, the other way of looking at it is, I've got this really brilliant fuel cell. I've got this really brilliant battery train, but I can't quite get the range. Wouldn't it be great if I had a range extender? Right. So it's, then you get into your classic hybrid. Yeah. So it could be a, you know the Toyota Prius type approach, which is a battery and a and petrol engine. motor, petrol yeah. engine, um, and we effectively give you the alternative, which is the fuel cell engine. And in a in a train, is there any special requirements for the fuel cell system? Uh, I imagine it's quite a big fuel cell in a train. Yeah, so for the for the branch line trains, they're not. There's that funny thing we always have this perception that trains are kind of huge. You think of them, you know, the Flying Scotsman of old. Mm. Um, the branch line trains are actually not that big, um, so they they kind of cross over from kind of bus into train. There is a step, but it's it's not massive. Right. So the fuel cells are going to a train. Um, for a smaller train, very much depends on the route, but you might be looking at kind of 100 kilowatts. Oh right, um, okay. Which is really not not massive, mm. uh, because it's that stop start. Okay. Uh, and the branch lines are not particularly high speed. Um, trains, of course, the whole point of trains is they have nice low rolling resistance. Yeah. Uh, and you know, a, a double decker bus is like pushing a sail through the wind. Yeah. A train is obviously quite slippery. S- yeah. Slippery. <laughs> On the steel wheels of steel and all that. Yeah. yeah. And it, is it using um, it's hydro, it's conventional hydrogen system pressurized gas yeah, com- storage? Yeah, com- compressed gas. So within hydrogen storage, there's a whole load of different approaches to hydrogen. So if we say, okay, we're, right, we want to use this fuel cell, we want to get this range extension, next question, how do I store the hydrogen? Yeah. Um, so compressed hydrogen is the first answer. So you're using um, uh, tanks, same as you might do with uh, CNG. Yeah. Or, or many of the same manufacturers, in fact, branching into hydrogen. Yeah. And you'd compress on in, on heavy vehicles, typically it's 350 bar, which okay. is roughly double what you get in an industrial cylinder. Yeah. So steel cylinders knocking around everywhere, hospitals, workshops, factories, yeah. about 170 bar, say. Um, so these 350 bar tanks, they are higher, but they're not massively higher, and they're well well within kind of comfortable ranges. Yeah. So they're typically chosen. That's quite straightforward. Um, for passenger car, then you might jump up to 700 bar. Yeah. Uh, which really is quite high pressure. Yeah. Um, so it's out of the. So and that's to get extra energy storage, basically. Yeah, extra energy storage. Uh, annoyingly, hydrogen is not an ideal gas. So you, when you double the pressure, you don't actually double the storage, but you get probably two thirds more. Right. Um, so there's been lots of thinking over the years. You can imagine what are the optimum pressures. So yeah. you, you know how much energy do you lose in compressing the gas versus mm. how much can you squeeze in. Uh, so there's always an option we we think of of 
350 is the starting point. It's lower cost, yeah. uh, easier. Um, if you really, if you suddenly realise, oh, if I could just get that little bit more, then we might consider going to 700. So that's your, your compressed hydrogen. From there, you can then move into metal hydrides, which is probably, I guess, the, the chemical equivalent of compression. So it would be a low-pressure cylinder um, with a hydride in there that would absorb hydrogen onto the surface for a metal comp- metal matrix. Um, so the benefit of that is it's low, it's low pressure. Um, mm. It's quite heavy, which doesn't matter so much in a train. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of it, a kind of advanced hydrides coming forward where you, you might get to the similar kind of weight percentage so we, we typically think, well, so there's, there's two approaches to how good a hydro storage mechanism. It's the kind of gravimetric, yeah. so weight weight efficiency, and your volumetric. Yeah. yeah. Um, so hydrides are getting quite quite up there in terms of weight, um, and then you can then start to make kind of the bigger steps then of saying, well, actually, hydrogen's an element we combine with others. So yeah. kind of chemical storage, mm. or even in fact generation. So you can generate hydrogen on the fly yeah. from chemical hydrides and so on. Um, but I think you'll you'll find at least in the short term almost everything's going to be compressed hydrogen. Right, and and on on a rail system, presumably you've got to put in um, some sort of hydrogen generation refueling plant. In uh, are you typically doing electrolysis there, or is it supplied in tanks? Tanked um, hydrogen. Yeah, so you you've got. So if you so if you your, your objective with your train is of course to refill refuel your train as quickly as possible, mm. um, or any any vehicle. So typically with a, with a, a, a car, a bus, truck, train, um, very likely you're going to be doing it by, with a refueling nozzle, yeah. as, as you'd be used to with a liquid fuel or, or indeed gaseous fuel, CNG. Um, so that's your your refueling. Um, so there's effectively. Uh, there's a compressor. You may have some high-pressure storage to allow you to kind of fill faster. Yeah. Uh, or you can just compress directly into the vehicle. So there's a kind of cost optimization to be done there. Yeah. Sitting behind that then, if you like, is the source of hydrogen. Um, and the, then you have a, a kind of plethora of options. Um, so I think if you do the sums at the moment, there's enough hydrogen being generated to drive every car in the world about 5,000 kilometers per year. Right. Okay. So there's, there's quite an extraordinary amount of hydrogen manufacturing yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, Used in inter- industrial processes. processes. Right. So okay. oil refineries, steelworks, ceramics. So you use it. Making margarine. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> um, electronics. For that. So, yeah. so you, yeah. I mean, you use it in furnaces to get that extra bump of temperature. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of places where you need that extra. So there's a massive amount of hydrogen. Almost all of that then is made from steam methane reforming. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's basically combining in the appropriate catalyst and temperature, steam and natural gas. Yeah. Uh, so if you've got a good source of natural gas and steam reforming plants, of course you can make hydrogen. What do you do about because presumably that reaction there releases carbon dioxide? Exactly. And you can catch catch that somehow. So, yeah, you've got two t- two choices. So you, yeah, you're starting with natural gas. So fundamentally, you're bringing in a fossil fuel. Typically, yeah. obviously, yeah. you could also use biogas, sin gas, yeah. yeah, some kind of sin gas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're, you're producing CO two. Uh, the CO two is pure. Um, mm. So you have the the option to pull off that CO two and sequester. Mm. Um, uh, but obviously, at the, at the moment, in general, it's it's vented. Um, so you're still producing CO2. So if you start with natural gas as a fuel, you will release CO2. Right. Um, so your your benefit then you may have an efficiency benefit, um, um, but you also have a local air pollution benefit. So right. In some sense, in that case, you you may simply be moving pollution around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then the the kind of holy grail back to that hytopia idea is if you could do electrolysis of water using renewable electricity. Right. Then you're fully renewable. Um, and you have that added benefit we talked about of hydrogen for storage. 
is that you can deal with the intermittency of renewables yeah. by bringing in large elect- grid-scale, utility-scale electrolyzers to help you balance supply. Which was actually, that was going to be, literally my next question was going to be about, um, <clears throat> we see a lot of people talking about hydrogen mixed with renewables and I'm just wondering how that, how that kind of, how it fits in the mix and what's when when you see people talking about using hydrogen to balance out renewables what what do they actually mean by that so yeah so within renewables people talk a lot about back in the strained renewables you've got a wind turbine that's generating and effectively they can't sell the power because the grid can't take it yeah and it says oh we could make that into hydrogen so in the short term you have to be careful about people saying oh look we had all this constrained wind yeah. for a couple of minutes let's build an electrolyzer right yeah. utilization of your electrolyzer then it's not going to be very good so the business case doesn't work out. Right. So if you just take the kind of immediate glitter, ah, oh, this is a brilliant idea, then quite quickly it'll fall down. Right. And there's a danger, as always, with as very often there is in the hydrogen industry, is people make a big fuss about this one potential. People realise it doesn't make sense, and then baby in the bathwater. Yeah. As you move to a greater penetration of renewables, you're not talking about one particular cable, one particular wind turbine. You're talking about generally mm. having greater demand and supply side balancing. Yeah, so this is a, so basically, in in the past you might have done a, I don't know, pump storage scheme. Yes. Now you're going to do a hydrogen storage scheme instead of pump storage because pump storage is a, basically impossible to get uh, planning permission for and stuff. Yeah, these days yeah there's, and, there's certain places yeah. where you can do pump storage and there's not that many others. Yeah. Um, and with the electrolysis, you would do it, you can either do demand or, so it's always going to be demand, but you can turn up or you can turn down. Yeah, so it's, can a, be a, it's a tunable land yeah, load. Yeah. yeah, and if what you if you like from there, what you're trying to do then is displace all of the kind of diesel gensets running in fields around the country, balancing the grid. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's an area that I think will become increasingly interesting. There was a report just out today, I think, from International Energy Agency, looking at this. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of longer view. How do you do really deep decarbonisation? And increasingly, hydrogen features in that. Right, uh, and so that the the interesting challenge for us all now is saying, okay, there's these things we can do today, buses, trains. There's this thing we need to do in the future where we've got yeah. massive renewables penetration, and we need to balance those renewables. Or you know, those looking at nuclear are saying, well, nuclear power stations don't like being turned up and down either. No. So you could use hydrogen to balance renewables. Um, but in the middle, you've got this as always, this kind of valley of death, where you can do projects, mm. but do those projects in themselves directly make financial sense? Well, it's interesting <clears throat> seeing you guys get traction uh, traction boom, boom, on the rail side, um, and 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 the economics there just seem to be it's almost like a no brainer where you've got you you have a you have a choice. We could spend three billion electrifying this branch line network, or we can spend you know two billion doing the hydrogen. Because the I mean the numbers are quite stark that I've seen. It's like a huge saving to yeah. not electrify the line and electrify the trains and go for hydrogen instead yeah i mean it is that the, the, there are these business models emerging that yeah there is actually a business case yeah which those of us have been in fuel cells for a long time we're like wow an actual real business case yeah. it's really nice you know, you're trying to push new tech forward yeah you're always competing with an incumbent that's had 100 years of cost down yeah um, so yeah they, they're very much emerging and that's key really is get those projects done mm. um so doing a whole load of trains is not going to suddenly change the entire national grid yeah but it's giving us traction in the market we're getting volumes out we're getting out of the hundreds of units into the thousands and the tens of thousands yeah and it's very simple you know uh, economies of scale and cost reduction yeah and it, i mean the rail market's sort of notorious actually rail and the bus market notorious for not moving very quickly are you starting to see that change or is it still it's it, I, i'm i think so 
I'm, I'm no rail industry expert, so Richard, my colleague, has, has worked in innovation in rail for a long time. Um, and, yeah, there's a certain frustration within rail. The assets last for a long time. Yeah. You, you, you think about, you know, railway people thinking 100-year time horizons. Um, well, yeah. So there is that <laughs> challenge of, of how you do innovation. But there's this really strong push, I think, now of people... Very much, the, the, I guess, the thing we see in other vehicles where people are saying, oh, am I going to be stuck with diesel assets that I can't do anything with? Yeah. In 20 years' time, who wants a diesel locomotive? Yeah. And if you're a rolling stock company and you've got trains that have got a 20, 30, 40, 50-year economic life, mm. you've got to be thinking really quite carefully about it. Yeah, what do you do um, with them? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the interesting for us, Viva Rail in particular, so that there's three electric hydrogen train projects in the UK. So Viva Rail that we're working with, um, they're actually take their model at the moment is refurbishing so they're taking existing rolling stock yeah. and repurposing it uh, is it hard I, I guess in, tra- in rail it's maybe slightly different because of the length of the asset and they do those refurb points anyway but the, we always get people wanting to talk about doing like sort of refurb programs on vans or and the economics on small stuff just doesn't work no it doesn't I think tr- trains I'm relatively new into it but from what I can see it really does work trains yeah. get refurbed yeah. And they last a really long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and East Coast Mainline uh, this week on a train that was probably 40 odd years old. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and ideally you wouldn't know because it had been refurbed so nicely. Ideally, yes. Ideally, yeah. No, no comments. <laughs> I don't um, think it had been hoovered in 40 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no comment. <laughs> um, so the. Yeah, so in terms of getting innovation into rail, so yeah, Viva Rail is really interesting. So it's set up by Adrian Shooter, um, who used to run. Uh, a train line, so run run the franchise, Chilton Railways franchise. Mm. So he's got that knowledge from. Okay, how do you run lines? Yeah. Uh, okay, now I'm going to start actually creating rolling stock. Yeah. And and as we always find, I guess with any tech, but obviously my experience, fuel cells and hydrogen, you really need to join up the whole piece. Yeah. So you bring a new technology to market. You are actually changing the market. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that that to us, why River Rail approach is really interesting. And, and those trains that are being repurposed there, they probably were diesel originally, so there's like it's a whole new running. Some of the, the, the first trains that Viva Rail are doing are actually X, I think it was Metropolitan Line um, tube trains. Oh, right, okay. It's really quite fascinating. So these are tube trains that got end their life for tube for, for whatever reason. Aluminium. Yeah. Lightweight. Yeah. Very little corrosion issue. Um, going for a song. Um, <laughs> if you refit them nicely, Mm. Nobody knows. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you end up with quiet, lightweight, so you get good acceleration. Yeah. It's, it's so the strange thing. It kind of looks like, well, that's kind of a no As you said, it's a no brainer. Recycling, upcy- it's the ultimate upcycling. Yeah. Never mind your farrow and ball paint on your uh, dodgy 1970s wardrobe. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, no, this is, it's, <laughs> it's a whole train. Yeah. Um, and so, slightly more technology. Uh, yeah, a little, little bit more tech. A bit more tech than that. Yeah. Um, you put the wrong paint on top of an old wardrobe, it doesn't work. Uh, you get crazy you didn't want. Um, so, so, I think, yeah, these are the, these are the markets that are starting to move. Um, and the key is, as they start to move, we get experience, we get cost reduction. Mm. Uh, a colleague at an asset finance uh, event yesterday, the point at which kind of asset finance people can say, okay, that's actually now a bankable project. Yeah. Suddenly, these things start to roll. Yeah. Because the early projects, you've got you know the technology challenge. You've got the kind of bringing the market with you, bringing the partners together, getting the confidence, and then you've got a financing challenge. Yeah. So as all of these <laughs> things start to start to drop out. Yeah. Um, it just gets a bit easier. Those bigger projects just start to yeah. come through. So then, from a business point of view, you guys are 
must be going gang- gangbusters at the minute. So what's happening at a, at a business level with Alcola? Yeah, we're, we're busy. Um, so yeah, we're recruiting like crazy, okay. just like Avid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, at the other end of the country, or the, the other side of the country now as well. So, it, it, so we're, yeah, we started out in London, and we've now come, well, I've come home to Liverpool as well. So right. we've just opened a manufacturing facility in Liverpool. Um, and the, the approach, again, I suppose from our initial premise, what do you need to do to make these things actually useful? We've understood that there's in most of the markets we're looking at. So we're not doing passenger cars. Right. So you want a hydrogen passenger car? Go talk to Toyota. Yeah. yeah. High volume. That's our expertise. There's there's not that much I can add in that area, but we're typically looking at what are essentially niche vehicles. So buses, even trucks, yeah. trains are relative niche. Um, and then you even then within that, then you're looking at particular applications. So it's not just trucks; it's actually refuse collection trucks. Yeah. Uh, and so you get these really quite niche applications, and there, there simply isn't the engineering budget appetite. Um, so there's this real need for people to come in with exactly, I guess, an avid approach. How do you come with a solution? Yeah. Uh, so looking at so we will produce type approved hydrogen systems and fuel cell systems, and kind of all of the the stuff you need to go in between. Yeah. Um, so that we can deliver tier one into OEMs. So you can say, okay, look, we're, we're manufacturing refuse collection vehicles and we'd like a fuel cell refuse collection vehicle. Okay, mm. here you go. Yeah. Within within a year, you can have one. Here's a power so drain. T- taking yeah. away the risk. Mm. Uh, and um, and it, yeah, appetite is strong. Good. And so one market that you haven't mentioned but is um, often comes up with in connection with fuel cells is marine. Yep. Any, do you see any um, interesting things going on there? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of interest. And that... Yeah, Marina is actually a good example of there's the early projects are around, again, if you like, the kind of bus version of Marine. Right. So these effectively commuter kind of row, row ferries. Yeah. So there's quite a few projects. There's a kind of rush on at the moment. I think there's three projects across three continents and they're all rushing to be first. Right. Um, yeah. The one in Scotland's going to win, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so that's that bit. And then at the other level, it's the really long, like heavy um, container ships. Yeah. So this massive kind of. Cross cross megawatt uh, yeah. power systems, um, and the, again going back to that IEA report today, they're saying actually these are the places we should be looking. So right. the, these ships are typically running from heavily industrialised areas where there is already a whole load of hydrogen production, yeah. and they're typically linking oh, continents from heavy industrial area to heavy industrial area. Yeah, uh, and I think yeah, there's been a lot of a lot of noise recently around people just realising how filthy aspects of the shipping industry oh, are. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah, it's just not regulated at all. No, they basically uh, run on road tar uh, yeah. <laughs> and spew out all kinds of, yeah. never mind the CO2, it's all the other uh, yeah, certain... That's the horrors. And yeah. then the uh, the strangest thing is the, the, the big solution in the marine industry was exhaust scrubbers. Yeah. And that's just like, right, so you've gone from putting this stuff into the sky and... It raining back down again, which was bad. So now you're just scrubbing it straight out and putting it straight into the sea, because yeah. that's better. Why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just kind of uh, yeah, filthy, horrible kind yeah. of. Uh, but we're so we all depend on it, right? Like actually, without shipping, yeah. industry, global commerce, like that is how stuff is moved around. But yeah. It's, it's, so yeah, we're we're all responsible for it mm. for 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 the need for it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's huge. Mm. Um, I mean, I, you know, you said is the rail industry tough to innovate in. Um, I can imagine that the global shipping industry is even tougher. You know, right. It's a massive okay. sums of money, yeah. long asset life. 
Uh, but there's yeah, there's quite a lot of energy in that. So we you know, we're not looking at that scale. We, mm. We've got lots of conversations open on the smaller scale. The smaller stuff, right. um, and then the other one we didn't touch on then is the kind of off-highway vehicles. Right. Uh, so okay. It's a kind of interest, in, increasing interest. So if you look at cities like London, where they've done a lot of work on on on-road vehicles, so buses and trucks and cars. Yeah. Um, if you clean those up. Of course, what you then start to see is the other stuff. Construction sites, yeah. Yeah, so you've got construction sites, It's whether it's lighting towers, gensets, excavators, mm. uh, and all these kind of associated, so the non-road mobile machinery directive yeah. Um, yeah. coming through. And so there's kind of inter- increasing interest there. And uh, as I guess with everything else, it's where's the business case? Yeah, with off-highway quite often the machines are you could bat, uh, battery electric them and we've got some projects like that but in, in a lot of other instances you can't because you'd need a you know, 500 kilowatt hour battery for a single shift on a 45 ton excavator so um, yeah that's that's your use case right there for fuel yeah. cells the other interesting thing on off highway which is a massive challenge is you're often building something so you get to site and uh, you know you're going to build something there's nothing there by yeah. the nature of what you're doing, including yeah. a power supply. Yeah, if you're doing groundworks, the power's not in yet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how do you do that? Um, w- w- how would you have the power supply to feed the electric machines on the site? So there's yeah. there's kind of there's some interesting uh, issues there around off highway machinery with the, with the big stuff, but then also with the availability of power on a new project on yeah. a new build. So so it's working then. So that it's getting obviously the the. The availability of the machines and the capex of the machines, and then that hydrogen supply logistics. Mm. So that by the, by their nature, construction sites move a lot. Yeah. Um, so what we're typically looking at is back to base fleets right now. Um, yeah. So the, 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 if you look at particularly Germany, they've gone kind of hell for leather, um, building refueling stations across the country. They've built this refueler network. Yeah. Uh, and you've got refuelers supporting very few vehicles, and it causes yeah. all kinds of problems. Yeah. Uh, whether it's political, why do we spend this money on this filling station that doesn't get used? Yeah. Or practical, I've got a filling station that hardly runs, so the opex is really high. Yeah. With no revenue, uh, and or in fact they're failing because they're not getting used enough. Yeah. Um, so that was one approach. Generally, we look at back to base because it's it's better economics. A train is the ultimate back to base. In yeah. Some sense. Or a branch line train in particular. Always come uh, home. Yeah, always come home. Although, well, of course, once you get into the details, you realise that's not always true. Yeah. Yeah, that thing <laughs> okay. that you think until you really get into the belly of an industry. What are, talk about captive fleets. One of the uh, applications I've seen, which is, uh, I, I've not seen in Europe, but in the US, um, you've got Nuvira, the high DL guys, they doing fuel cells for fork trucks, which, I mean, that was a real surprise for me that that's a viable business yeah, case yeah. well it's, yeah the ultimate captive fleet um, right. and then that was so that's one that's really worked and i i think it's probably it's in fact it's starting to sh- the original business case for that was places running three shifts yeah so you've got electric forklift and you've either got charging or typically you've got a battery exchange station yeah uh, and so the kind of space and actually the safety associated bizarrely you know batteries lead acid batteries hydrogen release <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the, there was a whole lot of cost associated with running electric forklifts, mm. um, and then there was the kind of loss of power through shift. Yeah, uh, and so the the business case emerged quite strongly in it for doing hydrogen fuel hydrogen fuel cell forklifts, uh, and then moving into Europe, we typically don't run three shifts in Europe. Yeah, uh, although it's changing, everybody wanting their things delivered now. The mega warehouses, yeah, yeah that's mm. that's starting to pick up. Uh, but yeah, that's a well established like lots of units market. Wow, excellent. Uh, so. 
just looking at the time, we've massively gone over, but it's been fascinating uh, conversation, Ben. Thank you. Uh, so all, all the best for the future with Arcola. Uh, I'm sure we're going to be uh, talking again very soon. I believe we will. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Okay, so that's all we've got time for today. I really hope you enjoyed that discussion with Ben. We literally, we could have gone on all day. Uh, that's how these things go. Unfortunately, we ran out of time, completely blew the time budget for this podcast. So we've gone massively over what we plan to do, but, you know, that's, that's how it is. Uh, Ben's a fascinating chap, and I'm sure we'll be, uh, we'll be talking to him again very soon. So uh, we're going to be doing more podcasts uh, like this using the videos. So make sure you head across to our YouTube channel, check out the video content over there. We've got some, all, also some really interesting videos coming soon, which won't really make good podcasts. We're not going to put them as podcasts, but they will be videos coming on our uh, on our YouTube channel. Um, so really hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to leave us a comment below, uh, give us a rating, subscribe if you haven't subscribed already. Tell as many people about this podcast as you can. Trying to bring as much uh, technical information about electric, hybrid, and obviously fuel cell vehicles uh, to the marketplace so people get to understand them more and, and how they work and what's going on there. Okay, that's all from me today. I really look forward to talking to you again soon.